0: We're going to be in Acts chapter 21 in just a little bit. Last week, I mentioned to you that we are are proposing, our elders are recommending to the church body two new elder candidates, uh, Pastor Stephen as a staff elder, Mike Bowser as a lay elder. Uh, Hopefully, you received, if you weren't here last week, you were able to, to receive that email that, again, detailed out some of that information and also shared with you some of the the qualifications for eldership as well as the duties for elders that we have here at the church. So if you have questions about that, we will have that affirmation vote next Sunday morning following our worship service. This, This morning we do have, some of you have asked about this, we do have a way for you to vote. If you know you're not going to be here next week and would like to, to take part in that affirmation vote, you can see Dave Palmer this morning. He has a few votes, and you can, can take those and put them in an envelope, and we'll open those next week when we take the rest of the affirmation ballot votes. So hopefully you got that. If you, were not, if you did not receive that email this week, uh, that means we probably don't have your email address or have the wrong one, and so if you can, can let us know that, we'll make sure that you get on that list and are able to, to have that information as well. But if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact uh, myself or one of the other elders as we walk through this process of, of affirming some new elders here at the church. This morning, we are going to jump into our series. We're going to be in Acts chapter 21. We're going to look at a long passage this morning. It'll take us a little bit to even read it together. This is the, the portion in Acts. We've, we've come to kind of the, the third section of the book of Acts, and, and the first section was about the church in Jerusalem and the early Jewish believers. The second section was, was about Paul taking the message to the Gentile churches. Uh, that was the three missionary journeys that we looked at that Paul went on and some of what happened in those journeys. And now, here at the end of this third journey, Paul has set his mind, he's going to go back to Jerusalem He's going to visit with the the early church fathers, those early apostles that are still in Jerusalem, those Jewish believers that are still in Jerusalem. He's going to bring a collection that we'll talk about in a little bit to them. um, He wants to unite the church together, and then he wants to go, ultimately he wants to go to Spain via Rome. And so that's kind of his his mind. He has set his mind to get to, to Spain via Rome, to get to Rome and then to Spain. Uh, he set his mind on Jerusalem and, he, and he's headed there. And last week, what we looked at in this passage at the end of this third missionary journey is that Paul, as, as he's heading there, as he's, as he's left those churches in Macedonia and in Asia and is headed back to Jerusalem, he comes in contact with a couple of different groups of people who, who say to him, Paul, you, you, you can't go back. If you go back, if you go into Jerusalem, there's going to be this this giant uproar from the Jewish from the Jews that are in Jerusalem that are going to to that you're going to be imprisoned at best and killed probably if you head back to Jerusalem, and Paul has decided Paul Paul. He has set his mind. He knows that that's where he wants to go. He's headed to Jerusalem and feels that that's what God's will is for him. And these other groups come to him and they say, no, Paul, Paul you, you can't do it. You're, you're, you're too important. What's going to happen to you will be too bad and, and you're too important. And so I, we don't want you to go to Jerusalem. And they have this battle of wills between these, these other believers that are traveling with Paul and Paul. And finally, what we looked at last week is that in chapter 20, the beginning of chapter 21, is that Paul finally says to them, why are you doing this? Why are you doing, what are you doing? What are you weeping and breaking my heart? Why are you doing this? I know, he's saying, that I'm going to be imprisoned. I know that hardships are going to come. And I'm ready. I'm ready to be imprisoned. I'm ready even to die in Jerusalem for the name of Jesus. My mind is made up. This is the plan. This is where we're going. And his friends say, let the will of God be done. And they quit arguing with him about it. We talked last week just about that idea of how do we know what the will of God is, and especially in a, in a situation like this where, where there are some, some strong, committed believers that have one picture, and, and Paul has another picture, and how do we understand what's the will of God? And we talked just about how discerning God's will is not easy, and we talked through a couple of ways about how we might want to do that and how we can try to attempt to figure out what God's will is. And the other thing that we saw in this is that oftentimes, oftentimes our love of safety, our love of comfort and peace and convenience, that blurs our eyes. It blurs our vision of what God's will is for us because we are so selfish. We love comfort and convenience and safety and peace and we run from anything that's going to to cause us to be imprisoned or possible death or pain and so our vision gets blurred and we are have a hard time finding out what God's will is for us and then we said last week and this is where Paul is at once God's will has been clearly understood don't settle for anything else Paul has decided this is what God's will is for him, and there is nothing, there's nothing that's going to be able to hold him back. There's not going to be, be friends that, that, that try to explain to him what might be happening. There's not a, a prophet that comes out and, and ties himself up and, and has a, a, a kind of theatrical act there de- declaring what God has told him. None of those things are going to keep Paul from going on. Paul is marching in to Jerusalem, No matter what will happen, whether he's imprisoned or beaten or killed, he's going. So today, we find Paul visiting Jerusalem. He first arrives in Jerusalem. And we're going to read through this passage. We're going to see if all of the predictions that have been made by Agabus and by the others, if those actually do come true. We're going to begin in Acts chapter 21 verse 17. As I mentioned, we're gonna have a a long passage. So if you wanna follow along, it starts in page 930 in your pew Bible. It will also be on the screen, but we're going to read a, a large portion here. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and to all the elders who were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, They glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law of this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Then the tribune came up, arrested him, and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. When he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian, then, who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And there was a great hush. He addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarshish and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear witness." From them, I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said, rise, go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one, Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all of the Jews who lived there came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and I saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and had been praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And When the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I, was, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. That's where we're going to stop for today. As I mentioned, this is a long passage. A lot of things are happening here. I just want to, to try to walk through them a little bit so that we might better understand what happens as Paul and his, his disciples, the one that he's been traveling with, as they arrive into Jerusalem, what exactly happens? Paul immediately with those that have been traveling with him, they, they go immediately to James. James is the, the brother of Jesus. James is the, is the leader of the, of the early church there in Jerusalem, the, the Jewish portion of the early church. He's the apostle that they have, they have looked to as the main leader. And so Paul and his other travelers, they head to see James, and they begin to give a report to James. Of all of the things that have been happening in this, for sure, in this third missionary journey, if nowhere else. And he begins to give reports and he says, he says we, we went to these different cities. We were, we were just in, in, in Ephesus and, and I've been there for a couple of years. And, and the church there is growing and people are coming to know Jesus as their Savior. I've been in Corinth, I've been in Athens, I've been in Thessalonica I've been in all of these cities, and as, as we've gone there, we've, we've planted churches. We've preached about Jesus. There's, there's groups of believers in each of those churches. We've wandered through cities like Berea and, and Troas, and, and probably even tells the story when he says, we gathered with a church there in Troas, and, and, and a boy was sitting on the window and fell out, and we went down, and he was dead, but, but God raised him from the dead, Story after story after story. The ones we've been reading and probably so many more. Talking about people, Gentiles, who have been coming to faith. He says, not only have all of these churches been planted all through these areas, God is working in them, but their hearts are moved for you, he says. He says, we've been taking up a collection for the church here in Jerusalem. We've been talking about that. You you and I have been talking about that collection. We've been been seeing it. This is is something that Paul has been been thinking about. He has been planning. He's been preparing all the way through and and is passionate about it. We've read about it a little bit here in Acts, but you can also read about Paul talks about this collection that he's taking. He talks about it twice in both of the letters that he writes to, to the Corinth church, in Corinthians first and second letters, he talks about it. In fact, giving instructions on how they are to gather the, the physical money in and the process that they're to do with that. When he, when he wrote the letter to the Roman church before he began his journey back home, if you remember, he, he writes that letter to the Roman church and even tells them about this offering that we're, that we're taking back to Jerusalem. He's passionate about it. In just a little bit, in just a couple of chapters, he, he's, gonna, he's gonna visit with, with one of the, the, the leaders there in Jerusalem, Felix, in Caesarea, actually, and he'll even tell them, I, I, we were bringing this offering, these, these alms for the believers in Jerusalem. If you remember, there, was a, there had been a drought. They, they were suffering from this drought, and, and so Paul had gone on these journeys and and helped those churches to see that there was a way for them to be generous and to help those believers in Jerusalem. And, and I think, and I, lots of commentators think, I would agree with them, that Paul's idea in this is that he's going to collect this offering from these Gentile churches, these early church plants that are all around in this, in this area, in Macedonia and Asia. He's going to collect an offering from them, and he's going to bring it to the to the first early Jewish believers, that early church in Jerusalem. And he's going to have a, a, a sign, a show of unity that, that these Gentile believers are for you just as you are for them. And try to connect the church together. So they've taken this offering. They've collected it up. And, and if you think about it, I had, not, I had not thought about this until I read it in a commentary this week. But But as they've taken that offering, they didn't didn't have debit cards, they didn't have PayPal, they didn't have checking accounts. They had coins, probably bags and bags of coins. That's part of why there's a representative from each of those churches that's traveling with Paul is because, because they're bringing the offering, they're bringing the bags of coins with them. And so here, Paul has come To visit James, the other elders are there, those first early believers are in the room. Paul's telling these stories. All of these churches, all of these places have been planted, all these lives have been changed. All these Gentiles have come to know Jesus as their rescuer and redeemer and Messiah. And they've brought this. This offering for you. They have, they have brought, they have given sacrificially and brought this so that you might be encouraged, so that you might be helped. You get the picture? This report that Paul brings, and it says, it says that they immediately, they immediately glorified God, they praised God, they immediately said, this is, this is phenomenal, what a great report you have, Paul. This offering, how, how generous of all of these churches. They immediately glorified God. Luke does tell us that. But did you see the next verse there? Verse 20. Then they heard it. They glorified God. And then they said, but you see, Paul. But you see. Let me give you a little critique, they said. There's thousands of Jewish believers now. There's all of these people in the city and they don't trust you. They've heard all of these stories about you. You feel it? Paul gives this great and grand report. He's brought this offering. He's, he, he, he's trying to unify the church together. They receive the report. They're grateful for it. They smile and they nod and then they say, but you see... Just feel Paul's bubble burst. James and the elders tell Paul, We have a lot of Jewish believers that still trust in the law. They're still zealous for the law, he says. They understand that Jesus came, they understand that Jesus fulfilled the law for them, they understand that they're saved by grace, but they still love the law. They still try to keep the faith by keeping the law. They've trusted in Jesus. They are believers. They are a part of the church. But they're still Jewish. And they've heard, Paul, that, you, that you, don't, you don't believe in circumcision. You don't believe in the law. And they're not going to be very happy that you're here. And so they say, this is what we think you should do. In fact, they just tell it directly, do this. Do what we tell you to do. They said there's these guys, they've been probably in a, a Nazarite vow. They, they're going to complete their vow in just seven days, one week from now. He's, and the elders and, and James say to Paul, what we think you should do is that you should you should go, you should be their sponsor as they complete this vow. You should, should be with them as they shave their heads. You should pay for all of the sacrifices that they're going to have to give here at the temple. You should purify yourself, they say. You should purify yourself because you've been away. You've been traveling with all of these Gentiles. You've been sitting in Gentile homes and sleeping in Gentile cities. You need to purify yourself as you come back to Jerusalem as well. These things, if you do these things, might earn you some points with the Jewish believers. We can only imagine what Paul is thinking and how Paul feels in that moment. But we can see what Paul's response is. They give him these instructions. They tell him this, these things, they, tell him, they remind him of the, of the letter that has been written about the Gentiles and how Gentiles who have believed the instructions that they need to follow in order to be accepted. And then it says in verse 26 of chapter 21, Then Paul took them in, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went to the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. I'm sure, I'm sure Paul had some thoughts. You remember when, when all of this, this first Jerusalem council happened? Do you remember when that happened? When, when some of the, the, the people from Jerusalem had gone out into Galatia and they had said that you had to be circumcised to believe, you had to fulfill that requirement of the law to be a believer? And do you remember how adamant Paul was that that's not true? that Paul writes the letter of Galatians and has all kinds of of exclamation points in it to say, that is not true, you do not have to be circumcised, it's only faith in Jesus. Do you remember that council? That's where this first letter came from that, that they're talking about. Paul was adamant that that's not the case. Paul had to have some thoughts in the midst of this. And yet, when they say, here's what you're gonna do, Paul, You're going to go, you're going to help these guys fulfill the law, you're going to purify yourself, even. Paul accepts it. Paul does exactly what they've told him to do. He has to be shell-shocked. He has to have his his bubble burst a little bit, but, but more than anything, he wants peace. He wants to unify the church. He wants Gentile believers and Jewish believers to be one in one church together in unity. And so he accepts the instructions that they've given him, the commands that they've given him, and he does go to the temple and begin to purify himself and agree to sponsor these men. While he's there doing this purification process and and working through this process with these men, once the the purification is is in process, it's almost to the end, but there's some Jews Probably from Ephesus, probably some of those Jews that, if you remember the, the last riot in Ephesus, that the Jews saw Paul and, and, and what he had been teaching, and so they, they grabbed a couple of men, and they ended up filling the entire amphitheater, and they had this, this big chant, remember great is Artemis of the Ephesians, those Jews... They have traveled back on the boat. They were in fact going to kill Paul probably on the boat ride which is why Paul didn't travel by the boat to get there for Passover. Those Jews, those Ephesian Jews have seen Paul in the temple area. And when they see him, they begin to stir up the crowd. They begin to get everyone riled up. For sure the Jewish the Jews that are there, not the Jewish Christians, but the, the strict Jews that are there, for sure, they're getting stirred up, but also the Jewish believers are getting stirred up. They're saying that a Gentile, that Paul probably brought this Gentile that he was seen in the city traveling with, that he brought him into the city, or into the, into the temple. The temple had, had several designated areas that were to be only used for For Some parts for priests, other parts for Jewish men, other parts for just strict Jews. And then there was a larger area that the Gentiles could be in. There's a picture, I think, what will be on the screen here to help you see that Gentile courtyard is the big area around there. And then then there's a little four-foot fence and then the steps that go up to the temple where the large gates are around. And the Jews made a strong showing that there is no Gentiles that were going to be able to be in the temple area. They were not accepted. They could be in the courtyard. They could be on the outside looking in. But they were not to be on the inner part, even inside that four-foot fence, kind of around the steps there. And so they begin to rile people up. Surely he has taken Trophimus. Surely he's, he's brought these Greeks into The inner part of this temple. And so they get stirred up. Crowd is chanting loudly. And the guards that are there, you can see on the on the top right corner, that Antonio fortress, that's where the, that's the that's the barrack area. That's where the guards are. You can see they have a a spot, they have some windows, they have a, a balcony there where they can look out over the temple courtyard. They also The Romans would have have been Gentiles as well. They would not have been allowed inside the temple either. And so they have a fortress there where they're able to watch over what's happening. There's lots of Jews in Jerusalem, and so they were were on guard. They were were ready for something that might break out. And so as the crowd begins to get crazy in the Gentile courtyard there surrounding the temple, the, the guards come out, probably probably more than 200 of them because there's at least two centurions who are there. So a large group of Roman guards barrel out of the fortress and come into the courtyard. There's so much chanting that that they have to, to grab Paul, probably saving his life. He's being beaten. They want to kill him, it says a couple of times there in the passage, the Jews that have grabbed a hold of him the guards probably save his life. They grab a hold of him and there's so much chanting and there's such a riot going on that they can't even understand what the charges are. They don't even know why they've grabbed this man and why they're beating him and why they're killing him. And so they pick him up and they're going to carry him back to the barracks so that they can at least get to a quiet place where they can have a discussion and try to figure out what's going on. And as they're, as they're moving to the barracks, the crowd is yelling, away with him, away with him. We're done with him, we want him out of here. Really what they're saying is we want him killed. It's a similar cry to the cry 25 years before this that they had cried when Jesus was arrested, away with him, crucify him. As Paul is being hauled, physically, literally carried to the barracks by the guards. He says to the tribune, he says to the leader, he says, may I speak? When he does that, he speaks in, in Greek, and the, and the guard is surprised. He's, he, he's assumed that this is a, a leader of a previous revolt, an Egyptian leader that's come back. He's, he's, he's never seen any kind of madness on the temple court, except for at this earlier at this earlier revolt where, where, where these assassins had come and where all these Jewish people had been killed and the guards had to come out and, and in fact there was lots and lots of dead, death and bloodshed nothing has, has been stirred up quite like that since then until now until Paul is there and he says aren't you the, the, the leader from Egypt? he says I am not and so the tribune allows him to speak And he musters up the strength, remember he's been beaten, they wanted to kill him. He musters up the strength to stand, and he begins to share his testimony. The same testimony that we know earlier from Acts chapter 9, when we saw it, when it happened. The testimony that he has shared probably over and over and over. And as he shares it, he he begins by saying, I was... I was one of the best of the Jews. I grew up right here in the city. Gaimaliel was the was was the the rabbi who who I learned under. I was one of the best of the Jews. And and as he shares that, the Jewish people who are there, I'm sure he's, he's connecting with them. They're hearing what he's saying. They're they're understanding who he is. He's trying to make some kind of connection with those Jews, the strict Jews. He also is trying to make some kind of connection with the, with the believing Jews who are probably also a part of this crowd. Those are the ones that, that James was talking about. He says, these are going to be the ones that are upset. These believing Jews, these Christian Jews are going to be the ones that are upset with you. So they're part of the crowd as well. And so as Paul tells his testimony, he says, he says I was one of the, the, the greatest of the Jews. I was led by Gamaliel. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And then I had this journey. So I, even, I even tried to, to kill Christians. I got letters from the high priest. They can tell you. They can verify it. He so says, I got letters from the high priest and I went to Damascus because I was going to kill even more Christians when I got there. And instead, I was met by Jesus. A bright light shone. And Jesus called me. And I moved from wanting to kill Christians to being a Christian. went to Damascus, Ananias. Helped me. I wasn't blind anymore, I could see. He begins to tell that story. Trying to connect with the Jews, trying to connect with the Jewish believers, telling these stories so that he might have a connection with him. But all that really begins to happen is that the one thing that Jewish, strict Jews and Jewish believers can get unified on is their hatred for the Gentiles. And so Paul says, Paul says to them, Jesus spoke to me, he he called me, he called me into this ministry, he called me to go and begin to share with the Gentiles and it's in that moment that everything begins to uproar again. That's the portion we're going to look at next week. But what I want to ask today as we close is what what can we take from this story? What can we learn from Paul's example in this passage? I think there's a couple of things that we want to see in it. The first is that Paul loved the church, which is only just now... Had, had a few years, a couple of decades probably, of growth. But he loved the church and he loved the people of the church. He loved believers. And he wanted them to be together in unity. He knew his Jewish believing brothers. He had been with them. He had, he had had conversations with them. He had traveled with them. He'd been discipled by some of them. He knew them. And he also knew so well these Gentile brothers. He's been living with them. He's been been ministering alongside them in, in, in Corinth and in Ephesus for years at a time. Other times he was in much shorter durations in some of those cities. But he knows them well. He's been traveling with some of these guys, the guys that are right there in the room, when they're sharing these stories with James, he's been traveling with these guys, he knows them well, and he wants wants unity in the church. He wants unity in all of those who know Jesus as their savior, Jews and Gentiles. And he's willing to do anything. It appears that Paul is willing to do anything to make that happen. It seems like, as I already mentioned, it seems like Paul should have, should have jumped up and said, why would I have to do this when, when, when James gives him the instructions to go to the, to the temple and to purify himself? It seems like he should have rebelled back. It seems like he should have said, the law has been fulfilled by Jesus. We don't have to do these things anymore. It seems like that should have been Paul's response, but he doesn't do it that way. He would have earlier. He did earlier, but he doesn't here. He says, I'll do it. I'll do exactly what you're asking me to do. I'll, I'll do the purification. I'll take on the expense of being the sponsor for these other men because I want to bring unity to the church. Even, even after he's being beat on the temple grounds, he stops the guard and says, I want, I want to speak. I want to share. I want to try to explain why I'm here and what's going on. I want to reach the people who know Jesus. I want unity in the church. I think what we can learn from that example, what we can hopefully take from this story of Paul is that we too might long for unity in the church. There's lots of disunity. There's lots of disunity in the church. We, we tend to try to want to find ways that we're different from everyone else instead of the ways that were the same. We tried to major on the minors in lots of ways. And that was not what Paul was hoping for. Paul did not want to have all these different splinter groups of believers. To Paul, if you believed in Jesus and trusted in him as your Savior, you were a part of the church. Gentiles or Jews, you were a part of the church. Paul wanted unity in the church. But I think the other thing that we can see in this is that Paul wanted unity in the church because the church is filled with believers. In fact, as he tells the story, I think part of why Paul is is sharing his testimony and is wanting to speak to all of these people, the the strict Jews and the Jewish believers and all those that are gathered there is because, because he wants to tell a story to remind people that That God has sent his son, Jesus, to be our rescuer, to be our redeemer, to be our Messiah. God has made a way for us. God has sent his son to fulfill the law. I was changed, Paul is saying. I moved from death to life. And that's what I want for you as well. And I want our church to be filled with believers. It didn't matter, it didn't matter to Paul all of the other details. It didn't matter to Paul if you were a Jew or if you were a Gentile. It didn't matter to Paul if you were circumcised or uncircumcised. It didn't matter to Paul if you were purified and able to enter into the temple or if you were completely unclean and had no ability to enter into the temple. It didn't matter to Paul if you were outside the law or inside the law. Paul wanted you to know Jesus as your savior. That was the major thing for Paul. And it was not a minor. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him and it's in Christ alone It's in Christ alone that we focus. It's in Christ alone that we rest. It's in Christ alone that we trust. All of these other things we're gonna push aside and we're gonna look to Jesus and only Jesus and that's the story. That's the major detail. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That message gets lost. It gets lost. It gets lost even in the the room with the early believers, the early church, James and the other elders. It gets lost in the crowd and in the riot. It oftentimes still gets lost, even for us. But Paul says, I don't want anything else except for you to know Jesus as your Savior. That's the most important thing. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the Messiah. In him alone we'll trust. Worship team is gonna lead us. Please stand and sing as we close this morning.
1: In Christ alone my hope is found He is my light, my strength, my song This cornerstone, this solid ground through the fiercest drought and storm What heights of love, what depths of peace When fears are still, when striving cease My comforter, my all in all Here in the love of Christ I stand In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, Satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth. Stay up from the grave, he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, but with the precious blood of Christ. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man, could ever block me from his head till he or calls me home here in the power of Christ I'll stand no power of hell no scheme of man can ever block me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ
0: our benediction comes from Paul's writing in Timothy he says to the king of the ages immortal invisible the only God the honor and glory forever and ever amen thanks for coming this
1: morning